White is actually such a great fit for this administration. He's first and foremost in support of small business. Oh, absolutely. Donald Trump and I agree. It's time to make America cook again. <laughs> we want to fill this nation with red, white, and a whole lot of blue. <laughs> and let me tell you one more thing, Jake. Live from New York, it's Saturday Night! <laughs> Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. Tonight we'll be discussing Season 42, Episode 9 of Saturday Night Live with host John Cena and musical guest Marin Morris. I'm John Murray and joining me this week is Steve Finn. Steve is the host of Transparency on CHMR 93.5 FM in St. John's, Newfoundland. You can connect with Steve on Facebook at TransparencyCHMR. And you can connect with us at SNLAfterParty.FM. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. These reviews help us to get the word out and they're greatly appreciated. All right. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, John Cena. So, 11.30 last night, I sit down to uh, enjoy a, a new episode of Saturday Night Live. And all is going well. And they jump into the opening title sequence. And for whatever reason... Microsoft decides to drop a big turd in the middle of the, uh, <laughs> of the titles. Uh, we get a surface ad for like maybe, you know, five, 10 seconds, maybe something like that. I thought that it was just like a local thing. Like my local affiliate was asleep at the switch or whatever, but I guess that was the whole East coast feed had that in it. I'm assuming that you saw that when you were watching it. It happened to me. Um, I don't know if it was the Microsoft ad cause I was watching it through the NTV feed. Oh, so I think the, it cut to a different commercial, but it did certainly drop out like it did for you. Hmm. And we lost the uh, iconic, it's Saturday Night Live, of all things to lose. Yeah, fortunately, they they had that, you know, still being recorded in-house. So when they did the West Coast feed, that was all fixed. So it, it's not going to be something that is lost forever, but a little annoying, you know, that you get that that big little moment that's supposed to swell and build excitement and, and like get you into the show. And then here's Microsoft Surface, but whatever. Let's go over a little bit of feedback. We had quite a bit this week. Reddit user Sharvi I asks, do you think that overall WWE wrestlers are a better fit than other athletes to host this show due to the nature of what they do? Lots of improvisation and matches, promo work, theatricality, etc. What do you think? Like compared to maybe some like baseball stars or other types of athletes that we get where maybe they're lacking in a little bit of, of stage presence or, or skill. Uh, do you feel like wrestlers are a better fit just because of the the nature of their job? That's exactly what I think. And I think S. Harvey I pretty much answered their own question. Mm-hmm. I don't want to insult anyone, but I what I want to say here is that it's not a real sport. <laughs> like there's 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 talent to it and there's ability and you have to work on these moves and what have you. But the factor of the matter is is that, you know, it is choreographed. And there is a, a narrative, a plot line that's written. <laughs> People call it the soap opera for men. Yeah. So, of course, they're going to be better suited for a variety show due to the theatrical nature of what they do. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. They're actors. I would say, if not first and foremost, that that is one of the critical skills needed to be uh, in the WWE. Is that what they call it still? It was WWF when I was a kid. It was WWF. And then that Panda Bear organization got upset. Uh, World Wildlife Fund. Yeah, I think that's what that stands for. Yeah. So they had to change it to World Wrestling Entertainment. It used to be World Wrestling Federation. Right. Then uh, Federation became Entertainment, <laughs> which is probably more suitable for what they do. Sure. Well, this is good radio. Lots of uh, fun little factoids for <laughs> wrestling enthusiasts out there. Uh, pretty in pink. Oh, hold on. <clears throat> I have to apologize. First off, I'm sick as a dog. My voice is going to probably sound a little rough today. But... Uh, also, I've got someone running a snowblower like right outside my window and there's absolutely nothing I can do about it. So apologies for all of the, uh, you know, the, the audio issues that we're probably going to have to deal with this morning. But let's talk a little bit about what Pretty in Pink had to say. Do you think the episode will eventually lead to bigger movie roles for Cena like when Dwayne Johnson first hosted in 2000? Hmm, that's hard to say. 
If you were to ask me, I'd say John Cena was not quite as successful as Dwayne Johnson uh, was when he hosted. Okay. I don't think that John Cena has the charisma, the just the natural likability that The Rock has. Maybe that's something he can work on. I don't know. But he's got some ways to go before he's on the level of, of The Rock. Sure. I went and looked up uh, The Rock's filmography just to see kind of when he sort of broke out and started getting like A-list roles as opposed to just TV movie of the week type of stuff or guest spot on a sitcom or whatever. And it looks like right up until the point where he was on SNL, he didn't even have one sort of like mainstream theater release type movie as a credit. Wasn't he in doom before? Uh, possibly, but I, th- I think that may have come out afterwards. It, I know that the uh, mummy stuff that he was in, he was in what two or three mummy movies. As the Scorpion King, yeah. Right, yeah. So that all happened like two years later. And that was kind of what first put him on the radar as an action star, I think. I'm not, you know, a rock expert. But I just get the impression that when he hosted, it was more just because he was known to be a good sport rather than he had really broken out at that time and anyone was expecting great things from him as a movie actor. It just turns out that, you know, when you got it, you got it. And time proved that The Rock was a star. I actually thought John Cena really, you know, he, I think he brought a lot of uh, good attitude and effort to the the show. And, and I didn't think that he was weak at all, but you know, what you can do on Saturday night live doesn't necessarily translate into what your film career is going to be. So this is, there's no, there's, there's no where to really tack this down. It's just interesting that, yeah, they have similar trajectories. John Cena, maybe even more than the rock. Cause he was at least in train wreck and you know, it just as a personality, he's maybe out there and a little bit more of a household name or getting to that point sooner. So who knows? Uh, only time will tell, but I thought that he was fun. He came to play. He was, you know, a good sport and showed more range than I was expecting from him. So I I don't see any reason why he won't eventually be getting to maybe not quite the rock level of fame, but I see his career going up. Yeah. He's not going to disappear. Yeah. Fanboy butts, fanboy butts, fanboy bites. What do we think that is? Fanboy butts, fanboy butts. Okay. Let's go with that. (laughs) Fanboy butts. Asks, do you think 80 is going to leave when Kate leaves? They're kind of like, you know, Dyke and Fats on tonight's episode is another example of how they're sort of a, a duo and they really make each other better in a lot of ways. And they're fun collaborators. They do a lot of writing together. So do you think, you know, 80 is going to be crushed when, when Kate takes off and, you know, be left without her support system? Or do you think 80 can stand on her own in the show? 80 can certainly stand on her own in the show. You could argue, of course, that Kate McKinnon is the bigger star, made the bigger impression out of the two. Mm -hmm. So if they were going to leave together, it would be 80 following Kate to kind of ride on her coattails a little bit. No offense to 80 because she is brilliant in her own right. Right. I'm just talking about in terms of uh, popularity when I say that. Yeah, I could see them leaving together to work on a project. What I hope doesn't happen is another Rachel Dratch type of situation <laughs> yeah. when uh, Rachel left with Tina Fey uh, for 30 Rock and then ended up getting recast. Yeah. Um, yeah, that would be tragic. 80 does have her own voice on the show. She has her own character. She has, uh, she, she seems to be the one that they go to when you need someone who's willing to be a little raunchy and be a little fearless in a, in some sketches, whereas Kate is, you know, a really polished performer. So I think AD could stick around and continue to be like a really good supporting player on the show. I don't know how much fun it would be for her though. Cause it is, it does kind of seem like she's part of a merry band that's really gelling right now. And it, you know, Kate's a big part of that. So I, I have a feeling she would leave uh, like you. I hope that that doesn't end up not panning out for her if she does. But again, these are the kind of speculation things where you can only assume, and I don't want to presume that I know what's going on in any of their heads or, you know, really can <laughs> have any great insights on this. It just, yeah, they're, they work well together. So if one goes, hopefully uh, they can create opportunities and continue to collaborate outside of SNL because I think everyone would enjoy seeing those kind of uh, you know features or whatever other shows. Kind of like Armisen and Hater. They'll be working together for a long time one way or another. So maybe there's something like that in their future. Oh, it's almost guaranteed. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Okay, so let's uh, let's move on. Let's actually get into the show here. The cold open... It's a talking head CNN type show, the lead with Jake Tapper. 
Well, this is uh, certainly a direct response to some of the cabinet picks that uh, Donald Trump has been uh, deciding on. Mm-hmm. Some glaring flaws that you can't help but notice. So, you know, to make that point, they bring out Walter White, the Walter White, <laughs> yep. actually played by Brian Cranston. And that's a recognizable figure in pop culture as uh, an image of, of corruption. Right. I really thought this was an impressive uh, mixture of, you know, getting the right people to show up to the studio and, and making a, a message with it. Okay. Um, I don't think I was as warm on it as you were. I felt it was very standard fare for a cold open, right? Like the, the sort of the density of the jokes and the pace that it moved at, and even just the scenario of a talking head and then, you know, caricatures of real politicians or whatever, all of that felt very much just standard, easy SNL cold open material. The thing is as lackluster as I felt it was the second Brian Cranston shows up on screen, <laughs> I'm, I'm one over, uh, there aren't many bigger breaking bad fans than me. And the novelty of that is a win, but then even just on top of that, seeing Brian Cranston's comedic timing and seeing how he can sell a line and just really take over the the scene just with some charisma and just, just a little head nod at a little wink and just, he, he just, the, the guy's smooth. <laughs> so, so I was, I was definitely charmed when he showed up. I just felt overall, you know, to get to that setup of here's who Trump wants to run the DEA, obviously, you know, the worst person in history to possibly <laughs> head up the DEA to get to that joke. I didn't feel like there was much that I cared about to get to that point, but Brian Cranston, Awesome. Glad, glad to see him. Always, always fun to revisit some, some breaking bad, uh, references and, and fun little one-offs. So whatever. Brian Cranston's awesome. <laughs> Let's uh, talk about the monologue. The setup is pretty simple. John Cena is at SNL and he wants to do a big musical number that him and a nerd have worked really hard to write, but unfortunately he just can't escape these wrestlers that come out of the woodwork to challenge him. What did you think? Uh, did this did this play? Yeah, it totally did, and it you know it served a lot of uses mm-hmm. because um, first of all, not everyone might know who he is because not everybody watches wrestling, right? Especially Hillary supporters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hence the joke in the monologue. But the thing is, uh, with with the way this played out, not only does it educate people on who he is, gives you a sense of you know his persona in the wrestling world and his energy and vibe. It also shows a willingness to kind of shed that and, uh, you know, do what he is required to do to put on a good show at SNL. Right. So it dances across that thin line mm-hmm. and uh, serves both purposes really well. Yeah. I liked that they goofed on it three times. You know, they had three different fake wrestlers challenge him and then they got out. I felt like if this had been... Uh, sort of a revisiting of maybe the, like the Emily Blunt episode where it was just gag after gag after gag. And it just felt like more awkward each time. I felt like this could have jumped the shark pretty easily if they'd kept going with it, but three seemed just about perfect. And for someone my age, uh, mid thirties, uh, sort of middle America type seeing Bobby Moynihan as the waddler. Great. Fantastic. Because when I was growing up, Rowdy Roddy Piper was like, the guy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So this was an obvious goof on him, which might go over some people's heads. Yeah. And I love the way he broke character when he was paid a compliment <laughs> yep. and got all bashful about it. I just love how, how he just sheds it. So effortlessly. Well, that's really the punchline for each of them, right? Like they all come out as badasses with their, uh, music and the pomp and the, you know, the, the, the grandiose presentation. And then as soon as they start interacting with them, they're either intimidated, they fall in love with him or, you know, they're won over. So, uh, it, it was fun. It, it was goofy. It was charming. He was able to really be confident and poised in the role. Like he, he really did come out. I felt charismatic and in control of the stage, which is always the first thing that I look for when you have someone who's untested on the SNL stage is, is how immediately do they make you feel like they're competent and confident and just ready to run at the show. Yeah, A plus. Okay, so uh, MTV, Hook a Hunk, our first live sketch of the night. Did you think that this worked well? I thought it was great, yeah. It uh, had a couple of elements to keep pumping life into it till the end. 
Mm-hmm. It was hard to see where they were going because it felt like it was going to be two dimensional a little bit, mm-hmm. but they ended up throwing some uh, curveballs, which made it kind of obvious who who wrote that sketch. You know, Beck and Kyle were behind that, and pretty much were looking for an excuse to <laughs> to neck on screen, which they know is going to play well. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, every season they have a few of these match game type uh, goofs. Um, they always try to bring in a new element that's unique. Uh, I, f- I found that this was fun that they were exploring some new territory. I'd never seen them do a version of a match game where the contestant is uh, smitten with the host. And so the guys have to basically sit there and play second fiddle to him like that. That was a fun angle for it. I like that. The only thing that I felt didn't work is... I don't think they knew where to take it after a certain point. Like they, they tried every time they cut back to John Cena and Cecily, they tried to, to make it seem like they're walking through like a really intense love affair. And so you're like almost like peeking in at them further down the road in their relationship. Yeah. Like time has passed. Yeah. And I felt like it wasn't immediately obvious that that was kind of what they were doing, that they were, they were basically uh, laying out all of kind of the, the critical emotional moments <laughs> when a relationship runs its course. So that was just a little hard to get on board with because I just thought it was okay. She's smitten. And then the, the, the fun of the sketch comes with the guys being put off by that, but because they took it in a slightly more complicated direction narratively, I felt like that kind of pulled me out a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, these are, these are small critiques. It it was a fun idea. It was fresh, like for them to go back to a game show format as often as they do. This was a new take on it. I respect that. Uh, just, it wasn't the strongest match game type sketch that I think SNL's ever generated, but not bad either. This is very much middle of the road for me. Okay, cool. Uh, let's talk about the first pre-tape, which is the karate teen, an obvious goof on the karate kid that critical climactic scene where he's in the tournament he gets hurt and he has to rely on the zen like focus and training that mr miyagi gave him to uh, get the upper hand on his opponent who is the the douchey guy from the the dojo with with no scruples right so the setup is there right like it's it's such a, a trope uh, the underdog story that we all know what we're looking at when we see it. So that was really good. Do you feel like the way that they flipped it was fun and satisfying? Like where they, they took it and and he ends up actually getting just his butt kicked in the most dramatic way. Uh, did this work for you? I think it did. You know, it took that trope, like you mentioned, uh, the fact that he remains resilient in the face of near defeat. Mm-hmm. And I love how they flip that, that even his own coach is, it gets to the point where he's like, maybe you should give up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought it was a success more or less. There was some things that I thought were a little awkward, but mm-hmm. yeah, it was a, it was a pass for sure. Okay. I think I'm going to marginally disagree on this. I felt like they set it up really well. Like you immediately understand the world that they're in. But my feeling was when I watched it was that this was too intentionally trying to take another run at farewell, Mr. Bunting. I feel like they got such a big laugh with farewell, Mr. Bunting, that this must've been a conscious desire to take another quintessential movies, climactic scene and flip it in a like, you know, violent and abrupt and just sensational way that, that you don't see coming. So structurally, like they're exactly the same. If you look at it in those terms and I felt like, because farewell, Mr. Bunting was maybe one of the most perfect sketches that they'll ever create seeing something like this, that is basically the same thing thrown into a different movie. It didn't satisfy me at all. Cause I felt like they didn't really know how to find that critical moment where it flips and the audience gasps, right? Like having him take a real big punch while they're in the middle of a fighting match is not nearly as dramatic <laughs> as Pete Davidson losing his head. So I don't know. Maybe it's just because it's sitting in the shadow of Farewell, Mr. Bunting, but it just, it left me a little uh, annoyed. I didn't find it as reminiscent as you did, because while I do see that they, they, uh, you know, accurately captured the, the style of the karate kid, it didn't have that all of a sudden shock moment like Farewell, Mr. Bunting. Mm -hmm. It was more so of an escalation. You know, he gets, knocked down the first time and it's 
it's reasonably something he can come back from. But when he starts going through walls and things like that, it was more of a, an approach of taking it up a level each time, more so than an all of a sudden what 180 shock. So if you were expecting that from from seeing the setup, maybe that's why you're disappointed. I don't know. Well, I wasn't expecting it. It didn't occur to me until the sketch was over that that this was almost like a beat for beat farewell Mr. Bunting type scenario. I think the reason why it was so unsatisfying is what you said. Because there isn't that one pivotal moment where the whole thing changes and you're caught off guard, the the moment where the guy punches him through the wall, I think that's what that's supposed to be. I think they were expecting that that was going to be like a big shocker moment of look how absurd this punch is. Like it's beyond anything that could have happened in real life. It's almost like Kung Fu movie level of absurdity or like over the top physicality. Yeah. So I think because they thought we're just going to drop that in the middle of something that up to this point is playing out basically as like a beat for beat retelling of the karate kid, that that moment would be satisfying like the Mr. Bunting moment. And I don't feel that it was because it just didn't, it didn't say anything. It wasn't exactly clear where they wanted to go with the sketch. And if we are looking at it kind of like what you said, where uh, each time he he comes back to the the mat to do another round, they escalate it and make it a little more absurd. Well, they don't really. It's just another punch that plays out exactly the same as the first. Okay. But I will say where I was getting the humor was from the secondary characters kind of being more realistic and not going along with this. Sure. Nobody's rooting for him. They're saying, this is getting absurd you're you're going to get yourself really hurt mm-hmm. like even alex moffat as the referee like he's while he's walking through the holes in the wall you can see him kind of make a motion like all right let's let's pick up the pace here mm-hmm. <laughs> no one's really playing along with the dramatic beats and everything and that's what was working for me okay i really like john cena's character like making him an even bigger dink than the character in the karate kid um and all of his little goofy pg uh, smack talk was all was all great. I really loved that. Like there was just uh, what he brought to it. I thought was a lot of fun. I thought he was actually the best element of it in the final equation. I just don't feel like it came together for me at least. I found John Cena to be a little obnoxious personally. Well, that but that's exactly what they were going for. That was what they were going for. Sure. Okay, let's get off the karate team. <laughs> let's talk about science presentation. Simple setup: the University of Alabama lives or dies by football victories. And so they are skating their star football player through his academics unbeknownst to him, though his peers obviously recognize the the disparity <laughs> in how they're being treated. So <laughs> of course, really fun setup, clever. Do you feel like they found enough jokes to make this work as a, a live sketch? Yes, I think it did work. There was enough jokes there. It was a a classical setup Mm -hmm. and the uh, character archetypes are there that are always ripe for picking when it comes to joke. You know, you got the dumb jock athlete and you have the straight characters. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff to, to draw from with this kind of setup. So I feel it does work. Good. Yeah. I thought it worked really well. I thought that they were able to find all of the right players for the sketch. You know, you've got the the panelists and then you've got the coach, Bobby Moynihan's coach that's disinterested. He knows how this plays out. He's been doing this for 20 years, like pushing his boys through their, their, their schooling. Yeah. So, you know, he's just off at the side texting or whatever. So, that, you know, they, they found a lot of fun little layers for it that worked really well. The absurdity of his project being, you know, a, a board with bananas nailed to it. That's all great. You know, there's, there's this is exactly how absurd you'd want the sketch to be for it to be funny and, and to hold together for the, the three minutes that they needed it to. They also found a fun way to exit it, right? Like he, he says, you know, I gotta, <laughs> gotta do the, the hunger caterpillar, you know, and I'm going to nail it because I'm all about <laughs> it. It was fun. Got in, got out, which is always kind of my big deciding factor of whether a sketch is like a total win end to end is whether they find a graceful way to get out of it. And this is a good example where, yeah, it stayed as long as it needed to. And then we moved on and I walked away thinking, yeah, that was good. Good writing. Absolutely. Okay. Moving on. Let's talk about Dyke and Fats. Save Christmas. I was not expecting we would ever see Dyke and Fats again. I thought that that was kind of just something that they, you know, they had some fun with back in the day and that was that. But here they are back again and it pretty much followed a lot of the similar beats of what we've seen before. Uh, do you feel like this is overplayed? Were you happy to see a new outing with Dyke and Fats? What's, what's your takeaway? Well, if this is going to be a recurring thing, at the very least, you know, keep it this sparse. Sure. 
it's not doing anything new when they bring it back. Right. They gave it a Christmas theme. Mm-hmm. Other than that, we're we're looking at the same stuff. Yep. And as long as you expect that and then you still enjoy it, then I guess it's fine. We'll see. We'll see if they continue to put these out every couple of years. I, I hope not. Yeah. The first run at this, there was definitely more shock value because you're realizing that, okay, they are willing to go there. They are willing to put themselves and maybe some of the areas that, that might seem like vulnerabilities or insecurities, not that they should be insecure about either of, of those, you know, characteristics of, you know, themselves, but you would expect that maybe someone would be a little self-conscious about some of these things. And the fact that they were willing to just hang it out there for everyone to laugh at, uh, there was something surprisingly uh, endearing and satisfying about that the first time through, but you don't get that, you know, each time you revisit it, you can't create that moment again. So now it just has to hang on how strong the sketch actually is. And this wasn't any better or worse than anything we've seen before. So I don't know where they would go with it from here. Yeah. Okay. Marin Morris. She performed two songs tonight. The first was my church. The second was eighties Mercedes. What did we think? Yeah, it's really good. She's a solid musician performer. Uh, got great stage presence. Okay, and uh, she's not overstated. She's uh, she feels like a real relatable person. <laughs> they haven't they haven't Taylor Swifted her, and uh, it's it's nice to see country on Saturday Night Live because it's not really the exact demographic of the show, and it's not my bag, but I like to see them have something for everybody on the show. Okay. Now, full disclosure, I'm sick as a dog. And so I've been run down and probably miserable all weekend. I got to say, I think I disagree with you like 180 degrees on everything you just said, but I'm willing to concede that it probably had more to do with how tired I was when I was watching it and maybe just being under the weather and not really being able to get into it. As I was watching her, I was thinking as well, like, okay, this is great that they're bringing in another country artist, but then I couldn't help but think back to Margot Price and how blown away we were by her. And I'm looking at Marin Morris and I'm thinking, yeah, she is a lot more commercial a lot more middle of the road and a lot less country and a lot more like sort of like country pop. You know what I'm saying? She's, she's closer to that than Margot price was. Yeah. Right. And so, because I felt like this wasn't what I would consider kind of like genuine country or like good country. And because she, to me at least comes off a little bit more like, a manufactured pop star than someone that has like a lot of chops and is really there just because of her raw talent and not maybe because of how cute she is. I just felt like this maybe is not, uh, the, the same level of credibility as what we maybe saw in Margot price. Yeah. You're not wrong. (laughs) Well, I'm not trying to like win you over to my side. If you enjoyed it, you enjoyed it. This (laughs) everything's subjective, especially with music. And, and again, I don't want to discount the fact that I know that I was like tired and just, really out of sorts last night. So I don't want to assume that that's the final word on it. I just felt like it didn't hold up for me because it seemed more obviously manufactured and less genuine country than what I would have hoped for uh, another country act on the show. Sure. Uh, so I'm actually willing to concede to you on that. I'll like, I've watched it twice now and I kind of had the same feeling both times, but when I'm feeling a little better, I will revisit it. And if after the fact I warm up to her a bit, I will definitely take my lumps on the next podcast. Listen to her guitar playing. She's got some good guitar chops. Well, that was when, when the first song started up and she was there playing guitar and I recognized, okay, no, she's actually, you know, uh, doing a, a finger pattern. It's not just like strumming a chord that may not even be miked. You know, like when I saw that she was actually performing along with her backing band, that moment was impressive. And I was happy to see it because I thought, oh, okay, great. Another legitimate country act. And she's you know, adorable to boot. But then I didn't feel like the second song especially held up. I felt like that was way more in the the pop end of the spectrum, which is always an annoyance to me because I don't feel like you should label something country just because you have a guy doing steel guitar. <laughs> You're right there. Yeah. Anyways, I'm a cranky old man. This episode of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast is brought to you by Podblocker, the first ad blocker for podcasts. 
Podblocker is a fully featured podcast player for iPhone and iPad that has one really unique advantage over all other podcast apps. It can automatically skip over the excessively long, repetitive, and inappropriate advertisements that plague so many of the podcasts that we'd otherwise love to listen to. Now, I know what you're thinking. Isn't it a little ironic to listen to a podcast ad about blocking podcast ads? Well, yeah, maybe. But think about some of the ads that you've heard over and over again, word for word, literally hundreds of times. You can probably recite them from memory. You know the website address, you know the coupon code, and you know everything you'll ever need to know about the product. Heck, you may have already bought it. Wouldn't it be nice if your podcast app was smart enough to know that you're in the throes of ad overload and automatically help you out? And that's exactly what Podblocker does. How does it work? Podblocker uses the listening skip patterns from its community of users to crowdsource where the objectionable advertisements are in a podcast, and then it gives you the ability to choose whether to automatically skip them in the future. If everyone else is reaching for the skip ahead 30 seconds button, then you probably are going to want to skip ahead too. But now Podblocker can do that for you. It's really that simple. Podblocker is an incredibly easy to use, beautifully designed and fully featured podcast app for iPhone and iPad. You can search for and subscribe to any podcast from directly within the app. And best of all, automatically skip the ads that you don't want to hear. Podblocker is available right now for free in the Apple App Store. So head over to the App Store or podblocker.com right now to get Podblocker today. And our thanks to Podblocker, the first and only ad blocker for podcasts, for sponsoring this episode of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. How are we feeling about this week's weekend update? I thought it was pretty good. There was some uh, some good jokes there between the uh, the panel characters. Uh, that frozen joke really killed. That was probably the biggest laugh of the uh, weekend update segment. Yeah, yeah, no, that was good. We have two features tonight. We get into uh, Kate McKinnon showing up as German Chancellor Angela Merkel, and she's talking about Trump being named Times Man of the Year. Was this a fun outing with Angela Merkel? Absolutely. Kate McKinnon really brings a lot of life to this character, which is really great because, you know, it's someone who's relevant in the news, but uh, you need to inject some uh, some characteristics that might not be there to create the humor. Sure. But also stay true to who you're uh, lampooning. So I think she, you know, draws from both wells appropriately to create these types of characters. Okay. Now, uh, aside from the characterization, which I doubt we will ever have any serious criticisms about anything that Kate McKinnon brings to the show. So aside from her being on point, did you feel like the material was necessary or up to par for this kind of a weekend update feature? Was it, was it fun? Was there good jokes? There were some good jokes. Yeah. Uh, I think it was well-written and there was, uh, there was some good, good beats. Uh, I feel like Kate McKinnon actually, uh, she must be a personal fan of adult coloring books <laughs> because a lot of her characters bring up that, uh, that right. hobby. Yeah. Uh, yeah, could be, could be. That's a little inside joke. It's good for the brain. Yeah, it is. It's stimulating. And uh, then we get another run of jokes. These ones are the more topical kind of news of the week, getting away from a lot of the political stuff. Uh, anything outstanding with the second run of jokes from uh, Colin and Michael? Got quite the reaction from the president impeachment joke. Yeah. Drawing the parallel with, with Hillary Clinton. Yeah, that was a good one. They uh, they certainly were expecting it because Colin Joe's had that side joke of, Oh, it's, it's only, uh, Mm -hmm. it's only dress rehearsal. And then the sudden realization that it's not, Yeah, it was almost convinced. It was convincing enough that I almost questioned it for a second. If he actually made that mistake. I wonder if maybe it just played a lot different in dress or something. I'm not sure what exactly, why he felt he had to reference that. It was fun. People liked it like that. Oh, okay. You know, something didn't land the way he was expecting. And now he's a little nervous and he, he grinds his teeth (laughs) for a little bit. Like he seizes up for a a couple seconds. Like he was doing a bit. It was a bit. Yeah. to, To follow up that joke. I'm not exactly sure what he was reaching for, but it was amusing you know, just to see him in that awkward moment of, I'm going to put this joke out there for the whole world to take. And, you know, is this going to land? Am I going to get slammed on Twitter? Like he, you know, there was some non-controversy a few weeks ago when he made some joke about, I don't know, can't even remember what it was, but it's the Tinder joke. Right, 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 right. So, you know, like maybe it was a little goof on that of he's always a little apprehensive to put out anything that could rub people the wrong way because he's gotten flack in the past for these kind of jokes. But I thought it was a good joke. Really good joke. Totally. Smart joke. Very smart joke. And then we get into Kathy Ann. She's shown up in season 42 already. So this is maybe one of the first times we've had a recurring character within the season. Do you feel like Kathy Ann is the character that we want to kind of be our 
check in on them many times throughout the season weekend update feature? Um, I mean, it does work to uh, make points of, of whatever they want to address mm-hmm. because, you know, the character by nature is very opinionated. Right. The humor comes out of, you know, maybe she's not as educated as she should be for, you know, how confident she is in her uh, convictions and all that. Mm-hmm. The The character itself is a bit one note. Like, it's it's not like other characters. And maybe this is because... It started out in a in an actual sketch and not as a weekend update character. But I feel like there's no there's no premise to it. There's no hook like maybe girl you wish you hadn't started a conver- conversation with at a party. Right. I mean it does work, but you're you kinda question why do they bring her on? Why why is she invited on a weekend update in the first place? Okay. I thought that this outing was better than the first one that she had earlier in the season, but I think you're right in recognizing that the character itself, there isn't as many angles to the character that you can play up. Whereas maybe some of the other recurring uh, characters, uh, the, the structure of how it goes and where they take the sketch and, and the punchlines, uh, there it's a little bit more regimented and you kind of understand exactly how the feature is going to roll out. Whereas this one really is just rambling about things in a crass manner. And hopefully she touches on some socially sensitive issue that a decent person wouldn't, you know, frame in her blunt terms. So as a vehicle, just to get certain ideas out, like Trump, you need to get off the internet. (laughs) You know, if that was really just what it is, we need a a way to veil these criticisms that we want to throw at Trump. And Kathy Ann is just, you know, crass enough, but lovable enough that we think we can, we can run it through her. Uh, if that was the thinking behind it, that makes sense to me. But otherwise I don't, I've never seen her as a strong enough character to really warrant being recurring. Totally. Let's uh, get off weekend update. Let's talk a bit about where'd your money go? Another game show sketch, this time hosted by Charles Barkley. Not the funniest thing I've ever seen. I always get a laugh or two out of pretty much every sketch, even the clunkers. Mm-hmm. This was not as successful as I would like it to be. Kind of made its point really quickly and fizzled out from there. Didn't go into any place that merited its uh, lifespan, basically. Yeah, I agree. Uh, funny idea but not really strong. It wasn't able to really go anywhere. So for me, it was just a uh, lackluster and and not really a win. I felt like there was, like you said, a couple good moments, but not enough to really hang the whole sketch on. Okay. So moving on. Oh, there goes my voice again. Puberty just hit. Okay. Office Christmas tree. This is a very, very technically ambitious sketch. And we'll get to that. I want to give you a chance to break down kind of how they staged that. But before we go off on that tangent, did you find this was funny or smart or came together properly? Yeah, it was funny. Parts of it, at least. Funny enough to justify its existence? Maybe not. Like, it was uh, technically ambitious. And uh, like a a couple of the other sketches that we've seen with, with a technical approach to it, you know, form over content became the the main criticism right so there were some funny parts there it seemed a little just disjointed yep. john cena's overly enthusiastic corporate personality mm-hmm. you know there were some laughs to draw from that but it also felt kind of dropped in there without much supporting it and it felt kind of out of place okay fair enough but i enjoyed it uh, th- that's good i'm glad you did i i really didn't uh not enough I enjoyed the idea of everyone in the office being more hung up on losing the Christmas tree than losing 80 Bryant. Right. I thought that that was a funny idea. I understand why that would work at a pitch meeting, but whether it was just all of the technical stuff, slowing it down and sapping the energy out of it, or if it was just not polished enough, like if, if the characters just couldn't stand on their own, or if they just didn't have a fun way to exit it, there were just too many things that felt just unpolished and just like they, they didn't have a clear direction for it. And uh, I think that killed it for me. Yeah. That's how I feel about it. But I do want to give a shout out to 80 <laughs> and this is what we love about 80. It's her physicality. Yep. You know, it was kind of impressive the way they made it look like she was dangling. Mm-hmm. You know, once she falls out that window, they have the blue screen on the floor in preparation for the shot. Right. 
So what she's doing is she's actually standing on one foot, but it's angled so that that foot on the ground is obscured by her body. Mm-hmm. And she's letting the other leg kind of quote unquote dangle right? that you could see off to the side. You only see one leg. And, and the reason is she has to stay standing. Right. But it, it gives that illusion. Yeah. And it was convincing. It was very convincing. It was convincing. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed that too. I enjoyed trying to figure out exactly how they were framing it and how they were staging the sets. And I think they had two interiors for the office and everyone shuffled out of the first interior to get into the one where they're kind of perched above 80. So I think they had two different sets. And then it's just, Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure when basically when 80 goes out the window and they cut to 80 while they're on 80 and she's making a couple jokes or not jokes, but you know, like she's talking about, I'm still here. While that's happening, they're all shuffling over to the other set where they're just basically uh, a window and really nothing else behind them aside from a backdrop. And there's a camera above them that's getting the shot of 80 and she's actually physically below them. Mm. That's how I think they they staged it. I think they needed two sets to pull that off. But I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. So you're saying they cut to 80. So she could deliver a few lines to give them time to move over to that other window. Yeah. Well, let me lay out the the pacing of it. When she goes out the window, they stay on the office people and the office people all talk about, oh my God, we lost the tree. And then they go over to the window and they look down. So you've got a good solid 10 seconds there. Yeah. 80 scampers off to the second set so that she's in dangling pose when they're ready to cut from their banter to showing that she's still alive out the window. And then while they're on 80, that's when everyone else scampers over to the second set that 80's already at. And they're on, they go up a few steps and they're up in the window above her. It's just the brick wall and then the office backing behind them. So they've moved over to the second set, which now has a camera above it looking down on 80. And then, you know, the main floor cameras looking up at them. And I'm pretty sure that that's how they, they pulled it off. And then the green screen, like you said, on the floor to facilitate them being able to paint out the background and have like a moving street below her. Yeah. Well, that makes it even more impressive. Yeah. No, as a tech, like we, we talked about the balloon sketch and, and last season they had the one where, um, uh, Jay Farrow and Taryn Killam were dead bodies in the, the floating in the water behind the hotel room. Like we've, we've seen some of these sketches where they're trying to bring in a lot of compositing on the fly in real time, but I don't think we've seen anything that was staged this precisely, you know, where, where you've got two different scenes that require in the moment special effects like you've got 80 and then when she's on the ground you have to get to another camera so that you can get her from the side to make it look like she's now falling uh there's just uh, a lot going on and the fact that that held together like it didn't call attention to itself too much i thought was really impressive yeah so yeah at a technical level i thought that was really neat but the sketch itself i just felt didn't really hold together comedically Agreed. Yeah. We're totally in sync on that. Cool. Okay. Uh, we get another pre-tape through Donald's eyes. Now this is kind of high concept. It's not something that SNL does a lot. It had a bit of a surreal quality to it, or it, it had something about it that is a new voice on SNL. And so I'm wondering if, uh, Julio Torres, who was behind Melania moments, Diego calls his mom, the sink and Wells for boys. I'm wondering if this is another contribution from him. Cause this is, this is not something that we see a lot of this, this kind of a, you, you need to have kind of a special kind of a mind to be thinking in terms of these sort of comedic sketches. Yeah. Seems to be reminiscent of his sensibility. So you could be correct, but just as a sketch without, you know, the meta, do you feel this was a win? Yeah. I love the uh, the Lynchian kind of uh, vibe to it. Mm-hmm. It was very, you know, like you said, it was like a dreamscape almost. And it, uh, I think it answers a question that a lot of people have wondered. It's like, what goes through that guy's head? How does he view the world? <laughs> because, you know, you have to assume it's not like what you and me would see uh, when we get out of bed. Right. So it was a great little workshop of uh wondering what it might be like to live inside trump's head sure i found it a little confounding there were moments that i enjoyed there were some obvious jokes that didn't take a lot of parsing like the big hands and him looking in the mirror and seeing john cena and you know his hands growing and shrinking when like melania comes (laughs) uh so there was there was some fun little visual gags that they threw in But overall, as I'm watching it, at least the first time, I'm just trying to keep up because this again is one of those 
not immediately obvious premises where you have to start parsing the world and figuring out what the rules are to what you're watching before you understand where the goofs are. And because of that, I had a little bit of trouble uh, just getting there on first run. So that's my only critique on second run. It was more enjoyable because I knew what was coming. And so when they have these moments where it seems like things are getting very dark and a little disturbing and, and you're not really sure exactly why that played better on second view. Sure. We're getting to a point now. uh, We're not quite there yet, but it's soon going to be a little bit awkward to not have a cast member, you know, fill the Trump role. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Cause like now we have John Cena putting the wig and suit on, you know, it serves a purpose in the sketch because he sees himself as a strong, muscular, handsome guy. <laughs> right, right. Right. That's the joke there. But you know, it's starting to make me think about when Alec Baldwin isn't going to be available. Like how many people are we going to see playing Trump before we actually get a consistent face sure. in that role yeah. that we can say that is the iconic Trump. It might be a while. might be a while. Well, the thing is, they have some opportunities over the holidays to do a little bit of retooling and maybe figure out what their next move is on that. If you put on your producer's hat, what would you do at this point? Like what, what's the next move for SNL to figure out how to create an environment where they can have good humor with Trump for the next four years? Well, they need to decide on a cast member who's part of the cast employed on the show <laughs> who can, who can be Trump. There's people who think Beck Bennett can do it. Maybe he can. We haven't seen him try it. Sure. If not, they have to cast someone. But that's also admitting that maybe if you have these many people, you know, employed on a show and none of them can play this one character, maybe there's some issues with who you're deciding on to be in your cast. Maybe, but this is a curveball, right? Like when they were doing their casting last summer, if they thought we need to set up Trump for four years, they probably would have been factoring that in in their hires. But because this came out of left field, uh, they're a little caught with their pants down. So I don't know if it really says so much about the strength of the cast or a miscasting. It's just, they have to pivot now because they do have a very different political landscape unfolding over the next four years. And they got to figure out how to make that funny. And right now they're in limbo. They had a short-term guy that they were bringing in as a ringer just to get them some early season ratings bump before the election. And now they're kind of saddled with him in the role. Uh, he doesn't want to do it indefinitely and they haven't really thought about what their long-term strategy is. So my hunch is they're going to do an outside hire. Uh, Beck's been on the show for a while. I, I don't know if he wants to be locked down for four years. I don't, I don't really know if that's going to be a good fit. Not that he couldn't do it. He is, he is very much filling a, a really critical role at the show right now. I just, I don't know if that's where his heart is. And, uh, if not, I don't know who else they would throw in the role either. So maybe we are looking at a fresh face for January. I'm wondering if it will be, uh, Anthony Animaniac. Yeah, that's the name that gets thrown around, but, uh, that's just a call that they got to make. There's a lot of guys out there that can do a good, good Trump, but they also want to find people that are well-rounded generally, right? If you're going to pay to have the guy there, you don't just want him for the cold open. (laughs) You want to have another asset, you know, another versatile player in your, in your tool belt for the the show as a whole. So, uh, it's going to be a really interesting hire if they do go outside for it. Yeah. Let's move on to Scorched Corset, the erotic bookstore sketch. We have John Cena as a Fabio type character who is employed by A.D. Bryant's character who just needs some passion and excitement in her day-to-day grind at the bookstore. Fun? Smart? Funny? It was funny. I thought it was a a pretty good premise. And uh, before we even got into that... Uh, I was already laughing by Beck's first line. Absolutely savage. <laughs> yes, about their whatever their their their, their dumbass dry spell. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, so he's he's already kind of like checked out of the situation. So that, yeah, that's fun. A little characterization that didn't have to be there for the sketch to work, but it was better that it was there. Yeah, but you know, it got out quick. So you know, as long as they didn't drag it out. I don't know if it was an end to end win for me. I enjoyed the premise and I enjoyed some moments in it. And I thought 80 was a little fearless, right? Like she kind of exposes herself a little bit there. And I thought John Cena, he was a good sport again, right? Like he was uh front and center and where it, it did kind of hang on his character. And so I think that showed a lot of confidence in him from the, the writing staff. And I thought that a lot of what he was in tonight, he did really good in. And this was an example of it. But the sketch itself, it just kind of, there's a lot of back and forth of bringing out the books and then, you know, coming in and out of the uh, sort of like erotic mode 
in the back. Yeah. Uh, so just uh, the, the back and forth of it, it, it just, I don't, I don't know if it really went as far as, as it could have, or, or would have been ideal, but it wasn't a bad sketch for me. It was just totally middle of the road. Maybe I was a little bit more warm on it. There was a, a few things that I thought really worked well. Mm-hmm. Keenan was uh, making me laugh a lot, even though he wasn't the main center of focus. Plus that lighting, the the mood lighting that makes that <laughs> you know erotic atmosphere. Sure, yeah, yeah. That added a lot of comedy to it, and uh, that was a good technical uh, touch that I noticed. Yeah. And again, I'll admit that achy, feverish me in a blanket <laughs> uh, sucking on halls last night may not have been in the best space to give these sketches their due. So I don't want to assume that it was as lackluster as it felt to me. I am going to give this another look over this week just to make sure that I wasn't giving it short shrift. But I felt like this uh, wasn't the strongest, but also wasn't the weakest of the night. But fun, 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 goo, fun concept. Just, you know, didn't make or break the show for me. Sure. Yeah. Okay, 10 to 1 sketch. United States of Talent. We have a, um, what are their names? Zigfield and Roy types? You know, like an animal. Yeah, Zigfield and Roy. Yeah, like a Las Vegas animal wrangling type show. And the star of their show is this wonderful, talented, trained owl who unfortunately (laughs) is now a little brain damaged and uh, does hilarity ensue. I thought so. It was cheap laughs. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna mince words here. Sure, it's, sure. Uh, it was mostly visual gags and grossed out humor. Right. Well, you know what? I'm a. I'm a boy. <laughs> I'm a male person who doesn't shy away from that type of humor. Yeah, I thought it was a fitting ten to one. There's something about watching a a brain dead owl defecate. <laughs> on like your you know your American Idol stage. There's as a as a bizarre visual uh that that was clever good good 10 to 1 yeah and the reason that 10 to 1 sketches are often of that quality is because you know you know you can take a bigger risk when it's that late into the night right but with that said you know they went as far as to uh put some engineering and, and puppetry into the mechanics of this sketch it was more effort than they probably needed to do so that i appreciated because it bumped it up a little bit uh more than just being some simple gross out humor. Sure. Sure. If you think about like that breastfeeding sketch from the Chappelle episode, <laughs> right. You know, there was some stuff going on, but not nearly as, as ambitious as this um, owl that had to turn its head and, you know, aim its vomit at times. There's a lot of stuff that could have potentially gone wrong. So and, uh, what, what is it that you think from an engineering standpoint that they were doing with the owl? Well, there was probably a lot of cables involved. Mm-hmm. Hydraulic cables, I think, is the is the term. Like bicycle brake cables? Exactly, yeah. Because obviously you can't really control... Like, there seemed to be stuff going down his sleeve and off camera so that they can control the head movements and the uh, bodily functions. Oh, I see what you're saying. No, 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 no. I think this is a little bit more duct tape and <laughs> hack than, uh, than what you're thinking. Uh, Mikey Day had a false arm. The arm with the glove on it that was sticking out was false, and his real arm was up in the owl. That's how it moved its head. Shut up. And that's what was triggering the, you know, the goo to come out. He's just, they've got a bag or something up there, and he's got something that'll release it, and he's the one timing all that. They didn't, they didn't have something running out of his, like, his pant cuff off screen where they had, like, you know, someone out of control board making all that happen. That was very much just <laughs> down and dirty kind of puppetry. Okay, well, when I assumed that that was his actual arm, that's I felt like sure. that was the only way they could have done it, but I never even considered that. Yeah, no, no, go back and watch it, and you'll realize that his fingers don't move, his arm doesn't move. It makes sense, because if you're doing kind of the falconry pose of having your arm level for the bird to be on it, you're not moving it. There's no reason to move it. So it was very convincing how they had the bird perch, but no, the bird is exactly the height of his arm when it's 90 degrees <laughs> up in the owl. <laughs> <laughs> sure um so but but even still someone had to build that owl yeah because they don't have a brain damaged owl just laying around <laughs> sure. you know they gotta construct that yeah so even if there wasn't you know, hydraulics or you know uh, fishing wire or whatever involved uh it was still still impressive to to go that route and and bring the the puppet in with all the biological stuff that <laughs> that they worked in yeah I think my point still stands, even though I was wrong. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Impressive puppet and Mikey Day, you know, he hit all those little moments, right? Like 
if there had been something where he needs to be thinking in his head, how do I maneuver this puppet and, and make things happen? And he has, and there's a bit of a delay while he sorts it out in the puppet and the sketch loses some steam while you're like waiting on it to begin crapping or begin vomiting or whatever. If he hadn't have been as adept as he was at performing the puppet, then the sketch would have been a little more lackluster Yeah, as a technical achievement. It still had definite merit. Fun fact, this sketch played last week during the dress rehearsal. This was part of the Emma Stone show and they cut it for time. So it's nice that they found a way to bring it back and get it on air because I think it had its place as a 10 to 1. So I wonder who played John Cena's character uh, in that first rendition. I think she was the other character, the one getting thrown up on. I think she was one of the performers. Okay, so it wasn't two males in the in the first version. Yeah, but I don't know that for an absolute certainty, but I think so. I think they just literally swapped out John Cena or Emma Stone for John Cena. Hey guys, just a quick reminder that Kadabi, makers of the best, super thin, beautifully simple iPhone cases is still offering our customers 25% off with coupon code SNL. Kadabi iPhone cases make great gifts. In particular, check out the sheath case. This is the case that I personally use and recommend to friends and family who want to strike the perfect balance between complete protection and thin utility. There's still time to get your order delivered anywhere in North America before the holidays, so head over to snlafterparty.fm and click the Kadabi banner to shop now, and don't forget to use coupon code SNL to save 25%. And our thanks to Kadabi for supporting the cast. Okay, so what was your moment of the night? Moment of the night. I gave Bobby moment of the night last week for pretty much the same reason when he was acting all cool as the school jock and then suddenly fumbled the ball and kind of broke character. I really enjoyed that moment. And he pretty much did something very similar with the, uh, with the waddler character. (laughs) And when he was received a compliment, you know, he started to blush and, and get all, uh, get all bashful about it. Right. And that's sticking out is my favorite moment, but it's just so similar to my last favorite moment that I feel like a one trick pony. (laughs) Uh, well, I mean, we're going to do a lot of these casts names are going to come up more than once and probably don't need to shy away from that. If that's the first thing that pops into your head, then that's the truest answer you can give. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. I go with that. So I had two thoughts and I still haven't figured out as I say this, which one I'm going with first off, Brian Cranston in the cold open. I just love me some breaking bad. So it was a cheap thrill, but, uh, beyond just seeing Walter white show up, Brian Cranston, just owning the camera and just being cool and collected and just, I don't know that guy, you know, <laughs> that guy, he, he just impresses me. So him showing up was fun. And then him being just as awesome as, as Brian Cranston is, was a really fun moment. The other moment, which I think I'm officially just going to give runner up because I, I got to go with Brian Cranston. When, when are we ever going to see Walter White again? Brian Cranston wins hands down, but I at least want to give a shout out to Mikey day during the MTV hook a hunk sketch when they're doing the first go round and everybody gets a little double entendre to woo the girl. He made a joke about like, I'm a magician because my penis will do the trick. Right. (laughs) So it was again, one of those things where you're sort of like unveiling the metaphor or you're botching the structure of the joke unwittingly. You know, there's something funny about doing a double entendre, but just like Leslie Jones last week, you revert back to what, uh, what the actual innuendo is. So, I just thought that that was a smarter joke and it just kind of like went by so quick. And then Mikey day didn't have anything else to do in the sketch that I don't think it really had a chance to, to maybe hit or be appreciated, but that's good writing. It's good when it shows up and I like it. Yeah, absolutely. But Brian Cranston for the win, as far as I'm concerned. The one thing about Brian Cranston is that when he, uh, you know, it's cool that he got to do the live from New York line. Mm-hmm. That was probably one of the most intense deliveries <laughs> yes. of live from New York and Saturday night live. It actually was a little bit off putting for me. I liked it. He owned it. There's a lot of times where they stay in character or uh, for whatever reason, they're still, they've got their head in the sketch. And so they're not really ready to just give themselves over to that being like an intense moment. But if you look back at the older episodes of SNL, that's always supposed to just be like shouted to the the rooftop. Right. So, you know, Brian Cranston, he's, he's, he's a cool, he's a smooth operator and he just knew when to turn it on. And again, I just, I think everything that he does on screen is magic. Oh yeah. I would agree. Yeah. He is a magical man. <laughs> Okay. Best overall sketch. Best overall sketch. It's hard to say. It's hard to pick one because, you know, it's kind of been middle of the road all the way down Mm -hmm. from beginning to end. 
there's reasons to pick any of them over the others. Sure. I'm going to go with Applied Science 101A. Yeah. There's probably a better title to give that. The official name on the site is Science Presentation. Yeah. Okay. Official Science Presentation. I felt, uh, you know, while it did rely on the typical rule of threes and, um, you know, the dumb jock character, a lot of, a lot of very recognizable staples. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some very creative writing involved, you know, creative meat put on that uh, predictable skeleton. <laughs> Fair enough. Rose above how derivative it could have been. And it, it made a nice, funny original sketch in the end, I think. So I'm going to give it to that one. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I agree with you. Science presentation, uh, end to end, as far as a well-structured, well-paced, cleverly written fun sketch that seemed to, you know, fire and accomplish everything it needed to accomplish. I thought that was it for the night. Um, there was a few others that were marginally good, but nothing that I felt was a total win except for this sketch. Yeah. Okay. So MVP. Well, my plan was to give it to Keenan because I found him the most fun overall, (laughs) uh, last night with, you know, Tay Tay in the 10 to one, um, the bookstore owner made me laugh and, uh, you know, he was funny in the monologue sneaking up on, on John Cena. <laughs> he had a lot of funny stuff to do. Yep. Now with this revelation that Mikey day was kind of controlling the, <laughs> the owl puppet, that makes me think I want to give it to him. Cause I was almost deciding on him before I, I was leaning towards Keenan cause he had a lot of stuff to do. He was the lead in the uh, karate kid short, mm-hmm. but now now that I know that he was doing some puppeteering as well as delivering his lines and properly uh, giving it the comedic timing while splitting his attention. Right. That's enough to impress me and, and swing the other way. Okay. So I'm giving it to Mikey Day. The new guy is getting his first MVP from me. <laughs> okay. And I'm, I'm happy to do so. Fair enough. I respect that. I'm giving it to John Cena. I felt like end to end, he didn't flub a line, do anything wrong. I thought his characterizations were good. I thought he was enthusiastic and he kept his head in the game, right? Like he was always committed to the performance. He was never half in a sketch. And, uh, I think from the moment he came out on stage and was able to, uh, win the audience over and, and really create some good energy. I felt like everything he brought for the rest of the night was all top notch. So I I think that he was solid, really solid. Yeah. Okay. So the big question on a scale of classic, great, typical, weak, or train wreck, how would you rate this episode? This one's a little on the weak side. Yeah. I can't really give this one a, a, a typical. Uh, while I did enjoy it, and I guess this goes to prove that I can enjoy an episode that I considered to be weak. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would have to say it's a little bit under the average for me. Yep. You know, you're always going to get sketches that don't exactly land, but you at least get a couple that, you know, are really funny. Like, I can't even tell what the news articles are going to be about out of this this episode. Because mm-hmm. normally there's a few news bites right. about whatever highlights SNL had to offer. But I can't even guess what it's going to be. Yeah. So that probably puts it on the weak side. Yeah, it didn't have any really high highs. There was, I think there was a good energy. I think the cast had a lot of fun. I think the host had a lot of fun. I think it was a fun episode and I think everyone enjoyed doing it. But the problem with it was that it didn't have any really great memorable moments. And uh, a lot of the sketches just were a little too middle of the road for you to walk away feeling uh, as satisfied as we'd like to be with a show like this. Yeah. So I agree. I'm giving it a week. Yeah. And I feel good saying that like me considering this a week is probably a testament that the show in general is in a strong place Mm -hmm. that I can be this harsh on it. Yeah. It's been a very good season so far. And I don't, I don't think the show has anything to be ashamed of. And especially John Cena and the cast, it wasn't a fumbly show. It just wasn't a show that had a lot of great material or memorable moments. That's all. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I think that's pretty good coverage. I don't have anything else to add unless you do. Nope. All right. Well, let's call it a cast. Thanks to my guest, Steve Finn. You can connect with Steve on Facebook at Transparency CHMR. And thank you also to this week's sponsor, Podblocker. If you'd like to support the podcast, please consider using and bookmarking our Amazon and other affiliate links found at snlafterparty.fm. It costs you absolutely nothing to use our affiliate links when shopping online, but it really helps us in covering our costs, and it's greatly appreciated. We'll be back in one week when SNL returns with host Casey Affleck and musical guest Chance the Rapper. 
This has been episode number nine of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night, and have a pleasant tomorrow. Thanks to Merritt Morris, Brian Cranston, everybody in front and behind of the camera, but most of all, all of you and all of you, because this does not happen without you, and this is pretty awesome. South Korea's parliament has voted to impeach President Park Geun-hye, the country's first female president, over a corruption scandal. You know, it's hard not to look at this story and think, that could have been us. (laughs) Cool. Well, it's dress rehearsal.